right, Matt Spielman, it's good to have you on the show. I'm excited to chat with you and uh, run down a couple of different threads today. Uh, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Jay, it's great to be here. I really appreciate you having me on. So let's start with who you are for my audience. Let's give them some context. Uh, who are you, Matt, and how do you spend your time? Sure. So uh, my name is Matt Spielman, and I am the Chief Performance Officer and Head Coach for Inflection Point Partners. Uh, we are a performance coaching firm. We have about 12 other coaches on our coaching roster as well. We work with people for career strategy, career optimization, really in one bucket. And then there's also the second bucket of executive coaching or sort of thinking about performing as best as possible in the job. And then the half bucket, which is applied to both, there's a health and wellness focus. Personally, I'm a board certified health, health and wellness coach, uh, a certified executive and organizational coach, and then other trainings as well. Um, so that's how I spend most of my time working with senior executives and their teams across the United States and the globe, and also continuing to build out this practice and carefully curating certified coaches who are absolutely fantastic um, is a real focus of mine. And correct me if I'm wrong, but initially you came from the finance sector. You were at Morgan Stanley, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. On the trading floor. That's is that right. correct? Yeah. So from executive to executive coach happened six years ago. And so prior to performance coach, executive coach, career coach, I was a senior level executive. And Jay, you're absolutely right. So I started actually uh, when I was at college, I interned at on the fixed income trading floor at CS First Boston. I uh, worked at uh, Morgan Stanley as well, also on the fixed income trading floor. And then the the internet happened uh, in, in a really big way in 98, 99, and 2000. And that sent me down uh, a path there of helping capitalize, grow, build. And I was part of several sales of younger organizations in the technology space. And I also worked in sales, marketing, and business development at some larger organizations like Publicis, like MTV Networks, uh, and you mentioned Morgan Stanley as well. So kind of a, a, a good understanding of size, scope, different roles uh, in my background, and it sort of serves me and our team well today. So why six years ago make the transition from executive to executive coach? What did you see or what inspired you or what was the need or demand that you thought you could fill? Why did you make that transition, Matt? I really listened. I, repeatedly, I saw where I was deriving the most satisfaction, fulfillment, and energy, which was seeing the people that reported to me grow, develop, and thrive. So the more senior I got in my career, the more people I managed, the more teams I managed and divisions and ultimately offices. And yes, I was absolutely focused on our charter, whether it was to sell a product or a service or to hit our sales numbers, all of that for sure. What really I was drawn to was just seeing if I had a stretch opportunity to go and present to the conference, I just naturally wanted somebody who worked with me to do that. If somebody was going to the chairman, I wanted somebody on my team to do that. And all of this came to a head when I was working with a coach and I started way back 12 years ago, Jay, uh, May of 2010, working with my coach to this day, Peter Hazelrig. He said something really simple to me, and but it hit me like a ton of bricks in a positive way, if that's possible. Matt, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it, which started this down this path of, huh, all right, I may be at this job and it's a wonderful job, wonderful people, wonderful company, all that. And on paper, it looks really good. But every day I showed up to 1515 Broadway, I felt like I should be going somewhere else. And where where is that? And what am I doing? And what are the things that energize me, that excite me, that light me up, that give me energy? So uh, that that was that exercise. And it was, I turned to him one day and I said, Peter, this has been one of the most important and I dare say transformative partnerships I've ever had. And I want to do what you're doing. So mm -hmm. then that set down a path of how do I do it in the most responsible, rigorous way possible. And that was taking a bunch of time off and going back to school and doing it the right way. Interesting. And your client list is diverse. I know you work with some A-list athletes, A-Rod being one, I'll, I'll name drop it because I know uh, he's endorsed or he's mentioned you in, in his content many times, but not just athletes, you know, executives. And 
and investors, right? And so it's quite a spectrum. Now, what what do you see as the most common challenge that I could just group these together as saying high performers, right? Whether you're an all-star athlete, all-star investor, top ranking executive, et cetera. What are the most frequent emotional challenges and behavioral challenges that these human beings struggle with? Matt. Wrangling and wrestling with time. Time management. Okay. Interesting. I would say... I, a couple months ago, I started keeping track of what are the topics that people are bringing to our coaching conversations. And it was about 35% of the conversations are, I don't have time to do this. I, I, I'm so busy. You know, you ask everybody today, everybody's busy. And so we really have conversations around time management, identifying what really matters. Let's focus on that. And invariably, right, we have, especially your audience, you know, there may be infinite opportunities, there may be good amount of resources, but Jay, there's finite time and there's finite energy. And we don't want, there's fear of missing out, and we, but we can't participate in everything. And that creates, it comes to a friction point, and that shows up in our conversations. Can I... You know, I want to try to challenge that a little bit. And you let me know if I'm on the money or if I'm way off base here, Matt. But, you know, could that be a disguise for fear? And I ask this out of, you know, personal curiosity. Often if I am about to tackle a new project, jump into a new venture that I'm a bit scared of because it pushes me out of my comfort zone, right? But I'm really excited by the prospect. You know, I'll start creating reasons why I tactically can't do it, mm. right? Even yeah. though the core reason is like, I'm just... I'm about to jump off a cliff here and I'm not quite ready to do that yet. And so I'll come up with reasons like, oh, I got to do this thing first, right? Over here, I've got this, you know. So is there maybe some delusion there or do you think it's true? Talk to me about that and what I just shared. No, I, 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 I think you're onto something. I mean, I think one of the benefits of, you know, in, in the context of my career, what I do, I get to actually, I would talk to you, Jay, I would want to understand what some of the reasons are why you're not doing something or why you are doing something. You know, So you do have a partner to kind of challenge you to kind of hit the tennis ball. So we go back and forth. There is that sort of accountability partner. So I guess if you don't have that person who is feels comfortable to challenge you and to hold a mirror up to you, which is essentially what a trained certified coach does, is it reflects you back to you. Mm -hmm. you do know and say in absence of a coach you do know inside whether there's a reason why you are or are not proceeding forward and doing something and of course jay you know fear is one of the, the biggest limiting factors there is I, I i teach a public speaking class and in preparing for that i uncovered all sorts of statistics one of which is 75 percent of people have a fear of glossophobia glossophobia is a, a fear of public speaking and I am sure that if there's an opportunity that involves people getting on stage or speaking in front of a boardroom or whatever that instance might be, they may say, yeah, that's not something that I might want to do. And But it's my job as a partner to actually challenge that. And maybe there is a way forward where we can work through some of that that concern, some of that that fear. It's often unfounded fear, um, which, which we could, we often can work through. I love that. And it makes me think, you know, if, if that's such a common barrier to entry or something new, right, is to yeah. present yourself publicly, whether that's on stage or in a boardroom or in a podcast or whatever that is. If the majority of people aren't willing to take that step, then taking that step gives you a massive advantage because the competition just dissipates, right? There's way fewer people on the other side of that challenge. Would you agree with that? Abs Jay, absolutely. And I think, you know, Shepherd's there are a lot of sheep, there are a few shepherds. And I think it can be scary to be a shepherd because you're kind of leading the flock yes. and you don't necessarily, you know, to be the first one to make an investment, to be the first one to lead a, a venture capital around, to be the first of anything has fear. And we can do our due diligence and we should do our due diligence and all that, but let's not let fear prevent us from being the shepherd. The shepherds are the one that are most rewarded. And, and the most vulnerable and exposed, right? And that's- absolutely. So why, why do we fear that, Matt? Why do we fear leadership? Why do we fear sticking our neck out? Why do we fear going down the road less traveled? What, what do you think is at the base of that? Jay, it's a great question. At the base of it is our preservation to survive. 
and it goes back to millennia ago when there's you know there's a bear outside the cave 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 even though there may not have been a bear outside the cave for you know 55 sunlights and they may not have called them days at the time but so it's this preservation and that we're hardwired we this is in our dna you know we are meant to survive and pass along our our, our dna and the genes and our progeny and it is it is in us. It is in us. And we have to fight. Like, that's the thing. That's this. I mentioned the, the disproportionate fear of standing on stage. We almost equate it to actually like death and something horrible is going to happen to us. It's almost like our hardware has not caught up to the software. Our mind is programmed in a way that it may take hundreds of thousands of years to kind of adjust to the more of the present reality versus there's a bear outside the cave, there's a bear outside the cave, we're going to stay safe, we're going to stay safe, we're going to stay safe. Yeah. That's what's at the core, Jay. Preservation. Yeah. Okay. Now, I would say then that, uh, you know, the top performers that I watch, right, they have one thing in common, and I'd love you to validate this for me if you think it's true. But uh, so Jeff Bezos actually says this in an eloquent way. He says that, you know, the reason for my success is at bats. I just have... A, enormous number of at-bats and why is that because he can strike out and strike out and strike out and strike out and he doesn't get he doesn't slow down when he fails when he gets ridiculed when he gets embarrassed right he's able to keep his speed and his cadence moving forward but that's what slows most of us down because you might work up the courage to take that chance once get up on stage and it doesn't go well right and you are ridiculed and you're embarrassed and you want to go back in the shell and say fuck i'm never doing that again right ever i'm staying back in the cave where it's safe so how, how do you coach people now you must run into this where even the top performers who are constantly stretching out of their comfort zone probably still have hesitancy to do it again because the next jump will always be bigger right a bigger risk a bigger chance you know when someone's standing on the cliff and they're like last time it didn't go so well i don't want to do this again you know how do you coach them back to a place of it's it's this is your path you got to do this right take the step the, the Bezos quote is really prescient and it's, it's, I think at bats is 60 or 70% of it. And I'll, I'll share with you in a moment what the, the balance is, <clears throat> but there is this, I believe in what I'm doing and I'm going to step to the plate and I need to take swings. You know, Babe Ruth, Reggie Jackson, and Alex Rodriguez have a lot of things in common among the top five strikeout leaders all time is the, some is one of the things that they also share. Love that. Huh. Alex is very quick to point out there are home runs and there are RBIs and there are hits and there are a lot of great things that he achieved um, on that side of the ledger. He's also really quick to point out how many times he struck out. And it's the at-bats were important. The swings, taking the swings were even more important. Now, hmm. where I might, the other, the balance of the 30, 40% that I mentioned before I think there needs to be some preparation for an understanding why and sort of rigor in the planning and the approach to the at-bat. It's not just we're going to get up you know, on stage and you yeah. know what? Hey, it's an at-bat and we're going to swing and miss. No, I mean, the, the proper approach needs to be in place. So I do think we need to be willing to be that shepherd. We're, we're mixing metaphors now, but be that shepherd, get up on stage um, and make ourselves vulnerable. I do think there's some away from the table planning that needs to take place as well. Okay. Let's, let's talk about that because you're right. And uh, you know, a core value of mine on my whiteboard is, is swing first. And it's because it serves me well, right. To raise my hand first, ask the first question in our, in our company too. I tell all of my key people, like, let's always take the first step. I want to see you ask the first question. You take the first, let's go for it. Right. However, right, that can become, uh, you can indoctrinate yourself into thinking that you should always be moving forward at all costs, prepared or not. And then you end up working really hard instead of really smart simultaneously, right, to your own detriment. So so how then, knowing the goals could be super diverse and it's hard to, you know, but what are, what are some of the mental preparation planning processes? I mean, you've got a formula that I want to actually jump into um, yeah. I don't know if this relates to your GPS methodology, but I'd love to talk about it if it does. <laughs> it does. But yeah. talk about preparation. You know, you know you're, we're going for at-bats, high volume. I'm going to spend my whole life swinging. But let's set myself up for success. What do I do? And I love that you're going to swing first and you know your whole life is set up to swing. 
I think before I get into my methodology and the GPS or the game plan system that that I created, I want to uh, borrow uh, Stephen Covey and his habit, his second habit for highly effective people, which is let's begin with the end in mind. And yes, there are lots of goals that people want to bring about. So there, there are the diversity of goals starting from it may be our, a point in time today, but let's start at that point where it's manifest. It's we've achieved it. It's we brought it about a successful presentation on stage. You know, it's let's say it's it's a month from now. Let's begin there and work backwards. But let's start. What does that look like? What are the things that we will have said? What is the what are the audience's reaction? So let's go to that. Let's begin with the end in mind. And then let's let's pull it back to today. And then we begin to put the, the pieces or the blocks in place for us to work successfully towards we've agreed that we're going to make that swing, to take that swing, to step yeah. in the batter's box. But there is the, huh, I want to hit a line drive as hard as hard as I possibly can. They don't actually aim. The goal is actually not to get a hit because we can't control that. But we're going to try to hit the ball as hard as we possibly can. Let's take a step back. What are the things we need to do in order to get there? Some of it's physical. Some of it is, you know, preparation from a sleep perspective, nutrition perspective, a routine, mental, all of that. So this that that begins the dialogue. Interesting. Okay. And and how frequently and and I guess one thing that I'm I'm notorious for Matt is like I I will I will swing first, ready or not, right? Like in my yeah. My friends love to bug me about this. I just, I can't, I, I struggle to sit still, right? And do nothing. It's not what yeah. I'm good at, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so talk to me more about like, what is the formula behind the GPS? And and <clears throat> maybe let's expand on that a little bit. If, if you can, sure. you know, I know some of this yeah. is probably proprietary. So no, if you no, go so, there. No. And in fact, quite the contrary. Okay. Anybody okay. who either reads the book or doesn't read the book, can download the templates, the materials, and there are about seven of them, and the exercise that people can do for free. And it's, yes, it's trademarked, but I'm giving it away. Okay. And, you know, people can go to theinflectionpointsbook.com to download their materials. Not proprietary at all. My, my goal is, you know, my, my why, just to, so we're clear, is I want to, when, why I'm doing this work and why I transition from executive to executive coach, is to ignite careers and energize lives and specifically more to engender whatever your version of the fist pump is that's what i'm going for that's my energy that's what uh, that's what fuels me each day so if i just kept it for my x number of clients that that would sort of go against my entire mission jay so no i encourage people to download it so the the game plan system is and the or gps the that is a double entendre intentionally sort of the, the GPS provides direction. And these ultimately think about a single page document. We often laminate it, but a single page document that houses really meaningful and consequential goals that you have selected for yourself. And those are essentially the coordinates that you're plugging into your, your GPS. And you know, you're, you're getting into your car on the driveway. The first thing you do is enter the coordinates because you might be driving from New York to New Hampshire. It's 300 plus miles. And you know what? What happens in life? When, you know, when we set our destination or these, these goals or these meaningful and consequential goals, there's life happens. There's traffic. There are accidents. There are other things that happen. And what does GPS do? It sort of make, keeps your eye on where you want to go. And so there's the... the the three steps of the, the GPS process are as follows. We, we don't meet initially and create goals. That would be actually just getting into the batter's box and swinging. Probably not going to set us up for the most success possible. We kind of try to slow down in order for us to speed up. We gather information at the outset. There are some assessments that we administer. And I talk a bunch about this in the book. Some of them are free. And it really provides really valuable information to trigger awareness in oneself and also understand others around you even more. Hmm. We sometimes will do a multi-rater system or a 360 degree feedback type of a thing. And we talk to stakeholders about 
you know, when was Jay at his best? What, when did you see him really thrive? What were some, what are his strengths? What are some areas of the, et cetera? We compile all of this information. We combine it with what are the things that you may want to bring about um, and to realize. And we co-create this document called the game plan. And the game plan, as I mentioned, it's a single page. It houses generally four goals. And we often laminate it. I may sort of suggest it's almost like a, a college football coach on Saturday has that laminated plan and plays to win that particular game against that particular opponent to bring about the end in mind to win that game. Mm. Or the, the, the NFL football coach on Sunday is that laminated game plan. And for the audience, I, I just held up you know, kind of this, this single page. And there, are, the way it's constructed is very specific. And I'm happy to get into, you know, using a, a model uh, that I created after a year of research and going back to the 1950s of what are best practices, like not even the gold standard, but the platinum standard for goal achieving theory. And I created a new acronym, uh, which is, I think, smarter than what people may be familiar with, which is SMART goals. So I created a, a new structure for that. Can you expand on that? I'd, I'd love to, sure. So uh, the, the acronym that I came up with is ACHIEVE, and I can briefly run through uh, what those are. And again, you could download all this. It's, it's visually uh, clear. And we go through... Uh, in, in the document itself, it explains all of it. So the, the A is something that you can control, that you can action against is the A. So 300 sunny days in Colorado next year is not something that we can actually control. Or actually maybe hitting 350 is not something, because there are a lot of other factors at play. So we like to identify an outcome that is in our control. C is consequential, meaningful to you. As we say, these aren't should goals, they, they are could goals. Not say, hey, Jay, you know, I think you should seek a promotion. You know, it's more, we want to understand what would be meaningful and consequential to you. Um, okay. These are goals that what could I do that would be great. So should versus could there. The H is for a hard but not Herculean. So it should be a stretch goal, but not impossible. The I is for integrated goals. If we set more than one goals, the, the theory states that if, one working in service of one helps you bring about achieving another. Both of those goals stand a better chance of actually happening. Yes. yes. The whole point behind this is people set goals all the time and they, they often don't see the light of day. Think about New Year's resolutions. So, you know, there may be somebody wants to kind of work towards a promotion, maybe one goal, the other, or take on a stretch assignment. Another goal may be to learn a computer programming languages. Those will be integrated goals, you know, type of thing. So there are yeah. all sorts of examples there. The E is for explicit, very similar to specific and smart goals. V is for visualization. So we we do use imagery. We, we take an image. If athletes have been using the power of visualization for decades, why not us? And then the E is for endpoint or time horizon. So like we, we want to set a goal that has a specific endpoint. So that's the A-C-H-I-E-V-E. And that's the construct of the goal. So the document itself, the template that anybody can download has the what of the goal, the why or the meaning of the consequence of the goal and kind of fill that in there. The action items, what might be three or four specific or explicit action items. And of course, by when do we want to bring this about? What might be an image that captures or crystallizes what it is that that goal represents to you, to nobody else, but to you. And, and that's basically, and we do that for typically four goals. Some do, people do three, some people do five. The template sort of works that way. Mm -hmm. And, but super important, Jay, they don't create 10 goals. It's right. not eight goals. It's not 20 goals. It's fewer well-chosen goals because they could have a tremendously, if they're well-chosen, they could have a really positive cascading effect on somebody's life. I love that. Okay. Okay. Now. Let me, let me share an experience. So when I, if I'm smart enough and I, you know, I, I do a lot of life blueprinting and journaling and try to, for me, like what gets documented becomes real, right? If I don't write it down, forget it. Yep. Right. So, yep. so let's say, but here's a process that I, I very often go through where I set a goal that I'm quite inspired by. I know I can accomplish, but it will be difficult and it will make my life better. It's the direction I want to go. 
in the early innings, I typically realize some easy success. I get a few wins, gain some momentum, feel really good about the direction things are going, right? And then as we progress deeper into the game, right, deeper into the journey of this goal, things get harder, right? I maybe Mm -hmm. hit the desert a little bit and suddenly I feel like I'm just in a barren wasteland and things aren't moving, right? And I'm kind of just working really hard and not going very far all of a sudden. And maintaining motivation in this moment is very, very hard because I'm kind of like, and I, and I, and then I can trick myself into thinking, well, this goal wasn't really that important. Maybe I don't really need to do this, right? Yes. Talk to me yeah. about what's going on there. Yeah, I, I've never let you, I'll never let you say that. You may have that thought, but you just described exactly why we've recreated this and we do what we do. And we use that analogy, Jay, which is exactly, you go on a long enough trip, I guarantee you there's going to be traffic, there's going to be accidents, there's going to be construction, there are going to be hiccups along the way. And that's what you just described. So it's it's the component of getting back to why that goal was originally chosen and what that outcome actually, that's why we do tap into the power of visualization and you know that I don't know what goal specifically you were you were referencing, but keeping in your mind of what is that image and what what sort of captures uh, that are captured that original energy of why you put it down there in the first place. I would also say this. Part of the GPS is the following. So I just described to you the what of the goal using the A-C-H-I-E-V-E. Then there's the how to achieve. So once you're on the road from your driveway up to New Hampshire, and you, you, had, a, you, had, a, you had a stop in the desert that you were talking about. There are eight things that we, that we are critical to actually realizing the outcome of that goal. One of which you mentioned, which is celebrate success along the way. And a lot of these are lifted from the body of positive psychology originally developed by Dr. Martin Seligman out of the University of Pennsylvania and also fellow colleagues of his. But one of which is to celebrate success. And oftentimes, you know, we may accomplish their milestones along the way, which kind of like, okay, we, we did that. Let's, okay, what's next? Not that you needed to throw a pizza party for yourself, but acknowledging that you accomplished that is mm. really important for kind of the, the internal drive. The other one, Jay, is to, so the second is to utilize your strengths. And for the audience, if they want to go to, and it's a free assessment that you can do, it's viacharacter.org, V-I-A character.org. You take the assessment, 15-minute assessment. It ranks your strengths from one to 24. And your top five are your signature strengths. And the science behind that is, The more you use your signature strengths, and these are like curiosity and kindness and love of learning and humor, the more you use your signature strengths, the more fulfilled, energized, happier you'll be, and the more likely you are to actually create that outcome that you want. The the third one is to, and this is potentially very suitable, which is build a team of experts. So especially for times when we may hit a bump in the road or we may show up to that desert is, who can we sort of surround ourselves with who are experts in their field? And maybe it's uh, somebody's preparing for a TED talk. So we want to, we have a public speaking or TED expert. There may be somebody who's a fashion expert or something. You understand what I'm saying. So it's identify who we can tap into in addition to your coach. And, And the coach can be one of those people. Sharing your goals, Jay. Had you shared your goals with me with a significant other in, in your life or other important people? that creates this accountability, transparency, and alignment. And then every once in a while, like less, less for them to actually have a referendum to say, hey, Jay, that's a good goal. More like, hey, identifying interdependencies and creating this, almost them checking in every once in a while, say, how are you doing against that? Yeah. The, the, the next one is kind of focusing and prioritization. Um, we're, we're not... Again, there's infinite noise out there and there are a few signals. So let's focus on those. Again, this is one goal that you were talking about. It should not be in a sea of 20 goals. It should be one of uh, four is what I was talking about. And Jay, you know, sometimes we can, we can kind of get down on ourselves. We not be making the progress because it's maybe too lofty. There's a big mountain to climb, et cetera. We do have this maniacal focus on winning the day. So it's just, it's the WTD winning the day. What are the three things you need to do today that work in service of you inching closer to the outcomes that you want that are on that document? So there are a couple of others, but those are 
kind of the how to achieve and to bring about the goals that you set for yourself, those are a handful that are steeped in not only best practices, but the body of positive psychology. Oh man, okay, so much in there I wanna I wanna pull into. Um okay, so for example, and and by the way, number four, sharing your goals, like the most yeah. frustrating thing in the world. Let me tell you why. Uh, right now. Um, so one of my goals is to do an ultra uh, marathon, right? And oh, yeah, yeah. I got my race on September 11th in Whistler, uh, British Columbia, not far from where I live. And I don't want to do this anymore. Like I, <laughs> I don't want to do it, but I have told, you know, a core crew, I've got yeah, this, this yeah. forum that I meet with monthly, seven other entrepreneurs and we share goals and all this stuff. We keep each other accountable, frustratingly yeah. so. And so now yeah. I'm like, I hired a coach to, uh, to help because I've trained for two ultras in the past. I've never knocked the ultra box yet. I've trained for two in the past and injured myself out in training both times. Very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this year I onboarded a coach. I was like, here's, here's the deal. And he's like, well, what we're going to do, it's a low back injury that I get from running downhill too long. Cause I do it. You know, I run mountains and uh, he's like, let's do some triathlons. Cause you know, your heart and lungs won't know the difference, right? You're still right. going to get the, the training in, but you're not going to put right. as much pounding on low back and knees. So anyways, um, I, I am utilizing my strengths, I believe, because I've always been an athlete and I love it. it makes me feel great. Yeah. I'm building a team of experts. I've got that coach on my team now. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, I, I told all my friends that I was going to do this and so I have to. Unfortunately. <laughs> and I'm held accountable. Um, but, you know, I still battle with it. And right now, for example, I just did my first triathlon two weeks ago as part of this training protocol. And I love it so much. In my mind, I'm like, you know what? I love triathlon. It's so mm. fun. I did these off-road tries, open water swim, mountain bike trail run. I don't yeah. want to do the ultra. I want to be a triathlete, right? And I know what's happening in my mind since the ultra is the big scary goal, right? It's, it's you know, yeah. probably nine, 10 hours of just pounding trail. Um, I'm, I'm tricking myself into thinking that's no longer a good goal for you. You've discovered this new sport, off-road triathlon. That's way more fun, way more, way more applicable to you. And so you still, I get these, like your mind, the mind is so, so good at tricking you right into, into not doing the hard thing. It is. You are self-aware enough though, to even be aware of that. And may I ask, what was the original reason why you chose to set this goal and participate and complete an ultra marathon? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I didn't have a super good reason Matt. you know, I've, always been an athlete, right? Uh, I'm 38 now. And I was asking myself the question a couple of years ago, I was like, you know, what sport could I still be competitive in at this age? You know, uh, what sport would um, support my longevity goals and my recreational passions, mm -hmm. which is, you know, mm -hmm. being in the mountains. And, you know, I was looking at a couple of friends of mine, I had a couple of buddies in their early forties that just started competitive bodybuilding and they're doing great. Right. And I was like, oh, that's, that's on the table, I suppose. But you know, I've, I've done some pretty rigorous lifting and gaining programs that I'd say it doesn't make me feel great, to be honest with you. Yeah. With vanity, sure, that goes up, but like, I don't feel athletic, you know, or healthy. And so I don't like that. I like to run, love, love to be, there's something about the psychological confidence that I gain just knowing if I had to run over that mountain, I could, you know, that that's it really. It's yeah. like just the internal, the internal primal confidence that I want. Yeah. And, and I carry that into other buckets of my life. And so the ultra was like, is really just, just to prove that I could do it. I mean, that that was really it, to be honest with you. And, and what would it mean to you to cross the finish line of that event? It would mean that I'm a very high performing primate. I mean, truthfully, that would be yeah. you know my 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 uh, my um, my my you know I, I feel like I'm quite primal, right? Like I I yeah. feel yeah. great when I'm a kickbox. You know, I like to yeah. use my hands and feet and. Uh, and run you express now. yourself in a physical way and, I, I do. and that, that generates energy for you. Yes. So what, what we're going through and, and I, I recognize that, you know, we're having a dialogue and um, there are several other questions, but what we're getting at is the heart of the achieve model, which is the C. And had we been talking potentially at the outset, it may have been, uh, okay, that ultra marathon, that, that's, that sounds pretty cool. And if we kept on, if I asked a handful of more questions, we, there may be other ways for you to achieve that, you know, to realize, you know, that type of outcome, to stay active, to stay healthy and the longevity goals that you have. And it could very well have manifested in participating in a, in a triathlon. And it's, 
had we been, if we continue this conversation, we may net out at a place where, okay, you know what? We did set our GPS to go to New Hampshire. Things happened along the way. We may want to make a stop off and actually end up in Vermont. And that's perfectly okay. That That is okay. And that happens in a coaching discussion. That's so we valuable. Done a little bit more, we would have done a little bit more work at the outset before you set that goal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is so valuable because what you just hit on is like, your your what do you call it um i wrote down north star but you called it oh the gps right so this is your, yeah, your guiding and, and, light. And, by the way, and north star works fine north star works fine it's that guiding uh the end zone right and yes, beginning with the end in mind the stephen covey the second habit for highly effective people yes perfect and that changes over time like for example i used to want five kids like i have three now i'm good i don't want five anymore right yeah doesn't mean it was a bad goal it's just i matured to a level where i don't want five three is perfect. Right. Yeah. But, you know, put my ultra in place of having five kids, you know, it's tough to determine whether you are psychologically dismissing the goal because you don't want to jump over the hurdles versus no, I'm actually now in a place where that's not a good goal for me. There's better things to go after. Right. And that's not an efficient or that's not a great right. use of my time that I have here. So how do you, how do you determine between those things other than through conversation with someone like yourself, I guess. I was just going to say that is a wonderful example of having a trained, trusted, third-party, objective person who's really listening to you and not layering over his or her value system. Like Maybe that person's thinking, man, it would be amazing to run an ultra. So I, I'm going to convince Jay or I'm going to give him advice you know, uh, or tell him or suggest to him that he should do that, but really listen to the other person. Um that's a hard one. I, I think because we often don't have people in our life who are really, they're focused solely on you in that particular conversation. And they're often layering over their value system and what their desires are and what their experiences were. And it really needs to come from within you. I think if you're having a conversation with somebody who's, who's not necessarily a coach, I think you state your objective at the outset of, hey, I'm really looking to bat this around, get it out into the ether to hear how it sounds for you to challenge it, you know, stuff like that, or to state the intention, you know, at the outset, as opposed to letting that person sort of say, hey, I, I think this is something that you should do. That's why I'm kind of allergic to the word should. And yeah. chapter seven, is, I think it's entitled, you know, should versus could. And where it would really go back to, Jay, you know, what could you do now that represents your why? your desires to express yourself physically, your longevity goals that you have to super be active. You've been an athlete all of your life. What could you do that actually brings that about? Not so keeping, you know, putting an arm up to that other person saying, don't necessarily tell me what you think I should like, what you would want to do. Um, so it's really an other person focused type of conversation where the other where the person is truly listening. So it's kind of like, hey, Jay, I heard you say that you felt most alive when you're like in minute 60 of your run. And it's like, so it's more coming from you as opposed to that person. We often don't get that very much in our lives. And people aren't really, they might be listening to us, but they may not be hearing us, hearing us, which is why, of course, I've been in, I've had a coaching partner, my coach, Peter, for 12 years. I, I really believe in it. Interesting. Okay. Now I want to use this as a segue a little bit to talk about uh, building financial wealth. And mm -hmm. I think this is a good time to pivot because we're talking about um, having the end goal in mind. We're talking mm -hmm. about therefore time horizon, right? Because I'm here now. Eventually I want to be here. There's some space between where I'm at, and where I want to be. That's going to require patience in addition to other things, but the goal is not going to occur tomorrow which is a, mis a challenge that I know a lot of investors face, right? And I've done a lot of work. And I really work hard at reinforcing my time horizon when it comes to my portfolio because markets are volatile. Nothing's in a straight line, any direction. But it's okay if you are confident and secure in your time horizon, right? Therefore, yeah. if I buy something today and my time horizon is 10 years, I don't really care what it does next quarter. It shouldn't keep me up at night, nor does it, if I'm policing myself effectively. Um, yeah. But, you know, 
investing, especially over the last three years, has largely become like an instant gratification, uh, yeah. herd mentality, FOMO driven mindset, do something now, patience isn't an option, all of this. So talk to my audience of retail investors, Matt, about some of that behavior and, and maybe how will you counsel somebody who wants to talk to you about achieving a financial goal, a financial metric in their life? Yeah, I, I would want to understand what that financial metric means to them. And even at that particular, you mentioned a time horizon, at that particular time horizon, what is happening at that time? Again, it's it's beginning with the end in mind. What is going on? Who's present in their life? How many children or, or grandchildren? And I would understand where where they got the construct of that particular number or that range that 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 they're shooting for by that particular time. We'd really want to. It, it's this this getting back to this like slowing down a little bit to go faster. Mm. And before I'd necessarily sort of agree with them or disagree with them on that amount, that that dollar amount by that particular time frame, I would want to understand really from whence it came and sort of the drivers behind it. Because oftentimes we may set what could be either maybe too low or too high or, you know, not the right amount, um, just where where that is coming from. And I think it's really double clicking, triple clicking in, you know, asking the three or four or five whys behind that to really understand where that's coming from. Because oftentimes it could be challenged in a very constructive and positive way, Jay, but it could be challenged. Now, I know your, your average client is fairly accomplished, right? Like you, you work with, you know, uh, I would say top tier individuals, but you know, even at that level, do people struggle with patience? Do you notice? Cause oh. I, I noticed this in myself and a lot of my peers. And they're the most impatient, Jay, they're the most impatient people. <laughs> and by the way, so I do have, and you know, across the 13 coaches, including myself that we have, we are working with hundreds of all different, um, all different types. And I also do a bunch of work. I'm on the, the Harvard business schools, career and professional development group. Uh, where we talk about career coaching, career strategy um, out of that office. And I've had over a thousand conversations with 26-year-olds, 27-year-olds, 28-year-olds, 29-year-olds, 30-year-olds, you know, and also alumni uh, who've graduated from the institution. So what I'm saying, what I'm sharing today is not necessarily for the CEO or the managing partner or the CIO um, only. And they're a lot more similar uh, than, than you think. So yes, some of the more, the senior people are the most impatient um they're self-aware enough to know that yes they are impatient and they have that drive and want to bring things about but we do need to kind of you know ask the questions kick the tires and bring in the requisite experts and, and all that stuff so they, they can they can coexist they can coexist right. together i guess you know it's what's enlightening about that to me is that and i think i've noticed this both in myself and with others you know mentors of mine that, uh, you know, we often struggle with the same things, right? You know, I, you can look at somebody who's, you know, they've, they've already, I want to write a book, for example. I could look at somebody who I know who's written the best-selling book maybe two, three times over, right? I like to get my company to X revenue. I look at somebody who's done that already, right? Um, I have my fitness goals, my health goals, all this stuff. And if I look at the aspirational people in my life, 10, 20 years, my senior, I feel like I've ticked all the boxes. When I really get to know them on an intimate level, I realize we're struggling with the same battles on a day-to-day basis, right? I seem to think you're enlightened yeah, yeah. in some way. You don't deal with this, right? Turns out you do. You really are. And it's something that I, I talk quite a bit about in the book, that the most accomplished people are the ones that wrestle with imposter syndrome the most. Interesting. Because, because they drive themselves and they have such a level of, the high level of expectations of how they want to show up and how they want to perform that no matter the the dollar amount in the bank or the number of people in the organization or the fund that they're on in terms of you know the and, and the size of the fund, they're the ones that sort of wrestle the most with most with is you know have I done enough? Am I kind of am I I guess am I good enough? But not necessarily going at somebody's self esteem. But seriously, like they're not walking around sort of banging their chest. You know they've also been around enough to know that life can really humble you. It's one of the reasons why I love the game of baseball so much. And I, I played for much of much of my life uh, through college and <clears throat> thought about playing afterwards. And it's, it's a game of failure. So you fail a lot more than you succeed. So even the people who are, and you know, all, all the games that, that you sort of see on TV and that we play, they're incredibly humbling. 
sport can be humbling, competition can be humbling, and those who've achieved the most generally know that, you know, they need to put in the work and that anything can happen on that particular day. And they're like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how it's going to turn out today. Right. Okay. Now you mentioned imposter syndrome. I, I want you to expand on, maybe start with an easy definition, just in case anybody's not familiar. But when you said, you know, the, the high achieving, most successful individuals I know struggle with imposter syndrome the most, right away, I was like, I wanted, wanted to spend a minute on that. So talk to me about what that is and what that means. My resume says that this is who I am. The people in the audience think that this is who I am. I am not that person or I'm not good enough to represent and be and embody that person. I'm an imposter. I may kind of want to be that person, but I'm not at that level. They may think I'm a nine out of 10 or a 10 out of 10. I think I'm a six or a seven out of 10. And eventually, eventually they're going to find out that I'm only a six. Is that the, the deep rooted fear? Right. They're going to find me out. I'm a fraud. I'm a fraud. Right. Now, right. everybody experiences imposter syndrome. We don't want to let it get to a point where it debilitates us and we sort of dread any kind of interaction with others. And we, we, we aren't those shepherds who kind of go out and take risks. But it is something that people are thinking about for sure. And that may be one of the reasons that drives them so much, why they're in the weight room at 530 in the morning or why they're reading, you know, they go away and they read 20 books or they have various people ar around them and various exits. So it's, it's part of the drive. It should not get to a point where it's, it's getting in the way. Um, but it, it's, it's the opposite is I am a 10 out of 10 and I'm, I'm the greatest. Whenever we start thinking about like bad things happen then too. So there's a, with everything, mm. Jay, with them, but there's a healthy point where it is like, if it's too much here, bad. If it's too much here, bad. Yeah. Kind of right in the middle is, is, is what I see as a very healthy amount or doses of imposter syndrome. Can you share, you know, one or two, three hacks, tips on managing imposter syndrome? <clears throat> I Yes. One is think about all of the times when you have been successful. And either, I, let's take the public speaking thing. It, it comes up so much. Um, when were the times that you delivered a message to a group where you felt really good about that? What was it? What were you feeling? What was the preparation like? And so we, we go back to a time when it actually worked really well. And <clears throat> most of the people who are listening, everybody who's listening, and most of the people that we talk to, there are several examples from which they can pull. I also, it's going back to that achieve model and that C and the consequence. Remember why you're there. I have actually something to say. I mm -hmm. have stuff to impart. I have, they can benefit from this. I know, I know a little bit more, probably a lot more, but I know a little bit more than they do and get back to the why, why you're doing what you're doing. You know, you, you remind me of a, a Jimmy Iovine quote. I just wanted to pull it up here because uh, it, it sort of relates. He says, you know, Jimmy Iovine, one of the most renowned record uh, producers of all time, um, you know, you name him from Tom Petty to Dr. Dre. Uh, he's been all over it. Fear uh, is a powerful thing. I mean, it's got a lot of firepower. If you can figure out how to wrestle that fear to push you from behind rather than stand in front of you, that's very powerful. And when I heard Jimmy Iovine, who's the, the 800 pound gorilla in the music business, yeah. talk about how he is still motivated from a fear of underperforming and from a fear yeah. that if he doesn't outwork everybody in the room, he'll never perform as well as them. And I just, I love the perspective that gives you when, you know, you could probably share stories about Alex Rodriguez, right? Absolute top of the game. I wonder so much about how he perceives his performance and his ability compared to his peers similarly yes. yeah and and people often think that courage or being courageous is actually not having fear but real courage is having fear but kind of facing it and looking it in the face and continuing to move on and i think it's you know you asked me about the hacks and or tips or tricks i do think it goes back to kind of the why one is doing something 
and and the C in the in the achieve model, the consequence or the meaning behind it. And I think when there are tough times, there is sticking with that that GPS analogy, this traffic or this construction or something that happens along the way. I think it's 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 really tapping into kind of the underlying drivers of that, which is also why I try to make available the image of what that outcome kind of means to that particular person. You may have with the ultra marathon, there may be, a, or, or maybe not actually, there may be this sort of, there's an image of you kind of, you know, whether it's crossing the finish line and you're kind of all muddy, they're all dirty because it's, you know, you're running in, in, in the dirt um, and you're kind of maybe embracing kind of somebody that you really care about across. We sort of tap into that and that kind of helps some of the, the fear and some of the, the negative thoughts that invariably creep in and they creep in every single day. It's kind of like, you know what? I know I'm going to have those thoughts, but I have my eye on this image that I'm working towards. And mm. it's, and you know why you're doing it. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Look, this has been awesome, Matt. I, I really appreciate your time and coming on the show and chatting with me. I feel like I got a free session out of you right now. But <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. there were a couple of points there. I was going to ask you some follow-up questions, but I realized <laughs> I'm not, I don't know how exciting that would be for the audience. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Look, this has been super fun. Uh, where can I point people, Matt? They want to hear more about you. First of all, your book, Inflection Points, where can we find it? I know it's on, on Amazon, correct? But uh, it is website, it is. Twitter, where can we find you? Yeah. So uh, the inflection points book.com is for more information about the, the book. You could buy it there or it'll link through to Amazon. And then you can download some of these materials that were that we were talking about today. Uh, it probably links through all. Well, probably it does link through to our company website, which is inflection point partners, LLC.com. And there we go through our approach, our methodology, the coaches that we have on the roster uh, and all that. Um, so this was a real pleasure, Jay. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, no, pleasure's all mine. And it's M Spielman at M Spielman oh. on Twitter. That's right. That is right. All right, cool. Look, once again, uh, super fun. So I appreciate it. My pleasure. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor follow or subscribe to this podcast drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend all of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc thanks for tuning in